Thank you for listening to Flow Working, the entrepreneur's podcast. Make sure you find, follow, and please review us on your favorite podcast platform. If you're interested in being a guest on my show, you can sign up at flowworking.net. I'm your host, Megan Anderson. More people than ever are starting the entrepreneur journey and learning a lot in the process. On this show, I sit down with regular people who are running all types of businesses to discuss the ideas, opportunities, and strategies they're using to build, grow, and thrive as an entrepreneur. This episode, I sat down for a friendly chat with coach Regina Martinelli about why meditation, journaling, seminars, and the like aren't getting you where you want to go, and the three biggest blocks people put up around money. Hello, welcome to this episode. I'm your host, Megan Anderson, and today I'm joined by my guest, Regina Martinelli. Regina is a certified master transformational NLP practitioner, holographic coach with a master's degree in change management and organizational development. Her model of coaching is rooted in transformative learning, neuroscience, and quantum physics, allowing access to the subconscious patterns that keep us stuck, especially around money. Regina has been able to design and lead conscious change work seminars for impactful and lasting breakthroughs for her clients in their business, personal relationships, and communities. She's astute at helping her clients uncover their unconscious blocks that present, prevent them from having the experience of money and life they desire. Her sense of humor, compassion, and commitment to make her courses fun, impactful, and transformative on multiple levels. Regina, Welcome to the show. We get to talk money today. I'm excited. Me too. Thank you for having me. My favorite topic. Yes, yes, yes. So before we get started, share with the audience real quick, where are you joining us from today? I'm in Northern California, about an hour north of San Francisco. Fantastic. So yes, I lived in, I lived in Central California for many years and I have family up in Northern California. So welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. And share with us a little bit about your own entrepreneurial journey. How did you get into coaching, do what you do today? You know, it sounds like you, you know, got a master's degree in change development. Now we're coaching. So share with us a little bit about your own journey. Yes, thank you. I've always loved the psychology of people and being in growth, right? And the things that stop us always dabbled in all the, all the career paths that I've had, always been coaching or participating or leading seminars as a side hobby, but it's always been, uh, I've always had the entrepreneurial spirit to get there and do it myself. One of the things that, um, I realized is, you know, we, it's, it's not, um, how would I say this? It's not uncommon that we get into our own way, but there's so many things that we don't know that we don't know. And organizational development, I chose that as a master because master program, because it was about the psychology of business versus going into psychology as a therapist because yeah. I was working both fields and I'm like, wow, the therapist, people show up and they give you their problems, which is what they want to do, but they didn't have a lot of motivation to change because they get to be right about how the other person is or how life is. And you did talk therapy, which is one way that people for years have dealt with change. But in businesses, people were managed by their objectives, by their goals, how well they performed, their metrics. So they actually were motivated to learn. So I could see the trajectory that people went through as they learned the things that they bumped up as they wanted to learn and wanted to implement things. And then it made it more interesting for me because you actually had participants who wanted to get there. Not that people who go therapy don't, but it was, they're way more motivated because they need their income or they want their job or they want their status or whatever it is that they're, they're creating. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I think it's an interesting marriage between the two. And 
as a serial entrepreneur myself, I know there's, there's no such thing as a separation of business and psychology. Like we're always in our head. We're always in the thinking space. We're always in the, like you said, that active action taking space. But I think entrepreneurs in general, um, we, we tend to get stuck and tripped up around things. And I'm sure you've seen it all. <laughs> I've heard all the reasons. I, I've been I've so, an entrepreneur myself, and I've been stuck in those places. <laughs> exactly, and we and we don't even realize that we're stuck. And a lot of it comes down to beliefs, which is interesting. I love that beliefs is what I was talking about all week in social media, you know, personally. And now here we are talking about beliefs. So tell us a little bit, especially around money. What are some of those beliefs that get us stuck or trip us up in our entrepreneurial journeys? Great. Um, so one of the things is that I hear often is people think like life is, uh, not life is hard, but making money is hard. You have to work hard to make money. We heard it from our parents, we heard from our grandparents, we saw it in our culture, it's in our media, it's everywhere, right? God, you just gotta work hard, you gotta work hard, you got to sacrifice, you gotta get out there. And that's actually just a notion, it's not actually true. And there's parts of our brain that will start to select for that to be true if we keep repeating it. And we actually believe it to be true because your brain is actively invested in being right about predicting how the future is going to be because it actually contributes to your survival. And it, there's a part of our brain, our reptilian brain, that is so invested in our survival that it will take seniority over our cerebral cortex or executive functioning brain. So those beliefs that run actually have that part of our brain stored for making it tougher when actually life doesn't have to be that hard. <laughs> Another one is that um, people get money as their security or their freedom, but money is not that in and of itself. It can actually serve you best when it serves those ends because we all know people who work really hard, but are not free. We also know people who don't work that hard yet. Money comes really easily to them. So there are people who have a lot of money, but don't take the time to enjoy themselves, go on vacation or actually have, they're so busy working because they're so afraid. So there's no freedom in that. And they're still working hard. So money doesn't actually equate to freedom. If you have these patterns, these limiting beliefs running, then your experience of money, no matter how much money is in your bank or in your wallet, is going to be the same. This is how we see um, young uh, talents shoot to fame, have all this money, and then in a couple of years, totally trash their lives. Or people who win the lottery, right? They get this copious amount of money and then it's gone. Well, it's really not the money that keeps them stuck or lets them move. It's their beliefs. And those underlying beliefs and the part of your brain that's starting to replicate the experience will actually help that money dissipate or will search for places to lose money or places to have it be tough. Interesting. Yeah. And then the last one I'll say is that people think um, money equates their worth or their value. I mean, you can Google anybody's name and it'll come up net worth, you know, <laughs> because we actually start to define human beings by their net worth and oh, or we get impressed by how much we think they have or don't have or how they're living their lives with whatever they do or don't have. But your worth is immeasurable and it's eternal. Money cannot take away from it or add to it and neither can the lack of money. So it's like, one of the things I love to say is we all have seen kids before. Maybe we have them. We've been one. We've seen them on TV. How many babies do you know who are born worthless? Well, they don't have any money. They don't have any job. It's true. Right? Yeah. It is actually not a measure of our worth. Interesting. And, and it is, but you're right that we talk about, you know, being, yeah, what, what are you worth? 
and, and, and that, that emotional worthiness getting tied up into the actual, you know, creation of money in your life. That's an interesting, yeah. interesting way to look at it that you, you don't really think that, oh yeah, we actually really do that as a society. Well, a Forbes, you know, riches 100 people, or we have, you know, is it a $5 million business or $20 million business? Is that, have you reached the $100,000 mark? Have you done this? Like there's all these things that were, and then we hold those as our level of how well we've done compared to other people. When those are great barometers for the different types of strategies and problems and issues that you have in your business that you need to look at, you know, $10,000 business versus $100,000 versus a million dollar versus $10 million business. Those all have different, you know, management and strategies and things you have to deal with. But yeah, we tend to put a lot of pressure on that versus there's a, a man that I know who had a $36 million business he dropped it down to six, $7 million a year. He's so much happier. He cut back the 45 employees to six. He goes, I'm actually have a better mar uh, return on my margin or excuse me, profit margin. He goes, it's amazing. And I don't feel the need to brag that I had this $36 million business. It's just $6 million, but I have so much time to myself. I have so much freedom to be with my family and do what I want to do. That's what we should be looking at. How, what are the promise for what you want in your life? And do you have those? Yeah, that's, no, I think that's huge. It's, it's interesting how, uh, my, my life partner, you know, super blessed that he's the breadwinner. And I say this because from go, when we first started blending our families together and I was so stressed, I'm like, I'm not bringing any money at business. I had at the time was falling apart. And he goes, your value and your worth is not what you're bringing to our bank account. And he would say it and say it. And I, he still says it to me like, you are more valuable and worth more than the dimes that you're collecting. And it took me a while to go, what do you mean? And I finally just asked him one day and he's like, you being you is worth more than whatever you do or don't bring to the bank account. And I think that we need to, that shifting that. Yeah. You know, and for so many of us, we don't even notice it unless we have someone like him who's pointing it out to us going, no, that's not your worth. Um, because they're so much caught up in a number. And sometimes when you get to that number, you're like, well, this doesn't feel like I thought it would feel. But maybe it's the next number. Maybe it's the next title. Maybe it's the next expansion of my business. And when you're in that place, you're actually running a pattern, a belief pattern of, you know, there's never enough. Or when I have more money, I don't deserve this. Or, you know, I'll feel more free when I have more money. None of that is true. You actually have to do the internal work, as we know. And then all that stuff changes. And then you can actually go, wow, what have I created so far? And I want to create more or I don't, or I want to create it differently. Or now this is what I want. You can still create and have more, even if you're satisfied with what you have, or you're appreciative of what you have, but coming from that place and going out to expand your business or, or open a new one is such a more powerful place than the not enough, not enough. I need a little bit more before I take a vacation, a little bit more before I think about that next project or the next, you know, venue that I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. It, it, it doesn't give you the juice that you need to focus and, and, you know, really blow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. So you talked, you talked a little bit about that internal work. So let's talk about that a little bit. You know, we talk about, okay, I understand I need to shift my mind. So let's do the things. Let's meditate. Let's journal. Let's go listen to some gurus. And now I know. So now, because I know it's going to poof change and it doesn't, and it doesn't, and it doesn't. And then you get stuck in that. This isn't working. This isn't working. This isn't working. So why? Why could I sit and journal for a hundred days and still be right where I was a hundred days ago? <laughs> I love this question. It is so common and it's so frustrating, right? 
And if it goes on long enough, we start to blame ourselves. We start to say, God, I'm not doing it right. I need a different guru. I need a different book. I need different insights. I need a different way to meditate. I'm not meditating right. You start doing all these things and chasing all these different modalities. Well, those are all wonderful practices, wonderful things. The problem is that they deal with the conscious brain. They deal with your cerebral mm-hmm. cortex, your executive functioning brain. And that's a brain that comes on fully early to mid-20s. I mean, it's functioning, but it comes on fully. And so it's one of the last parts of the brain to come on. And if you could have what you want by going through the conscious brain, you would already have it. Yeah. Yeah. But where these patterns are, where these limiting beliefs and the the part of your brain that's sorting to reproduce patterns of stress or income, feast and famine. I have money. I don't. I have money. I don't. You know, that is located in your um, reptilian brain back here at your base of your skull, the top of your spine. I also refer to it as the critter brain. That brain comes online and is fully online while you're still in utero, while you're still in the mm-hmm. womb. That is fully, fully online. So it has seniority and it is only sorting for, are you dead? Are you dead? The other, your cerebral cortex executive function is like, what's the quality of my life? Do I want to paint the house blue? Do I want a peach? Do I want a pool? Do I want a garden? Do I want more employees or less? Do I want to make more money? Would it be really nice to take a three-week vacation? All those things that, you know, are choices that we make, consequences, visions of our future, all that happens up here. And that is where we do most of these types of modalities. Now, you mm-hmm. the problem is, is that the executive function brain and the critter brain aren't necessarily connected. The neural pathways are not happening. So you could do all of these things, all of that things over and over and over again, and try to get from here to here. But it's kind of like walking from California to New York. You'll get there. It just may take you a really, really long time. And you may get stuck in Ohio. You know, there's nothing wrong with Ohio. Wonderful place. But you really want to get to New York. And you're like, okay, I'm in Ohio. I guess I'll hang out here. Five us lovely people. But you wanted to get to New York. And it just takes forever. So when you connect those neural pathways, in, now that we know how the brain works, we know how to affect change, which my modality of choice is neurolinguistics programming, NLP. You can do it. It's like getting on a plane. It's getting on a Learjet and flying from California to New York. You're like, wow, it's permanent. It's immediate and it's fantastic. And you're like, oh, now I know what I need to do next. Now I see how this lands and what's still triggered or not. But one of the things that we don't have what we want is because we're still trying to do it through the conscious brain. And that brain doesn't have seniority. It doesn't have impact to where those limiting beliefs are bifurcated and located. Yeah, no, I, I happen to be a, I, I have PTSD, a trauma survivor. And so what I often tell people is it feels like this, where your mind body disconnect. And it's really, it's really what you're saying. The front and the back brain disconnecting, like, no, my feelings want one thing, but my brain goes, no, no, no. Yeah. And they don't. So I love that you're talking about these NLP and there's lots of different modalities. NLP is what you choose to use. And, but it is, it's that reconnecting and rewiring and reteaching them to speak to each other in a way that actually produces results. So you have to go to where the pattern's located. You have to use how the brain is naturally designed, meaning like not using willpower where we're like, we're going to battle. People think, oh, procrastination. Oh, I'm lazy. I'm just going to get up and just force myself to do it. You're actually battling your brains. Your brains are fighting each other because one is 
getting triggered of this. There's something I can't do. It's not safe. It's not whatever the pattern is subconsciously. And the conscious brain is like, but I want to go to the gym or I want to go send that invoice or I don't want to spend this money, but I'm spending the money, you know, like, cause you're having this, this battle between the tension that needs to be relieved and the choice that you actually want. So you have to use the brain as naturally designed versus pitting it against each other. And you have to use the language that it uses. Language lands up here in the conscious brain. It came on so much later in life. The critter brain does not use language. So affirmations are a lovely thing. They feel good. But again, it's going to like walking from California to New York. Yeah. No, I, and I, I love that you're, you're, you're talking about what we do with our conscious. It's not bad. They're all beautiful, wonderful things. And <laughs> there's more, there's more to do that we don't teach in sort of the, you know, general way of teaching how the brain works, unless you get someone like you involved. So let's talk a bit about blocks. You know, we talked about those limiting beliefs a little bit, but I know there's things that we also put up. So here we are, we're walking from California or we'd love to fly, but oh, you know, I get somewhere and I have this roadblock. So what are some of the biggest blocks that we kind of put in front of ourselves or keep in front of ourselves, um, especially when it comes to that money part? Great. So one, we've touched on limiting beliefs which is things we hold as true. Like I have to work hard to have money. I don't deserve more. With more money, I'd have more freedom. Money's for other people. If I want money, then I'm selfish. Or there's also the belief of, I, if I'm spiritual, money's not important. Or more money means more. Mm -hmm. So those beliefs, right? Yeah. Also then there's safety patterning, which is how our brain ensures that we repeat patterns, even awful and unwanted patterns, upsetting experiences that we survived previously. And there'll be patterns of shame, fear, stress. An example is a child grows up in a house where they're getting hit on the head by a hammer. It could be literal or figuratively, emotionally, mm -hmm. psychologically, right? And the body will go, oh! and the brain will go, oh, did I, the critter brain will go, oh, did I survive? Oh, I survived that. And it'll get hit again. Oh, did I survive? Oh. And the conscious brain's like, I don't want to do this. But the critter brain's just tracking if they survived. But it happens long enough. Again, this could be emotional stuff too. That the critter brain goes, oh, I survived that. Hence, I need that to survive. So when the yep. child grows up, old enough, leaves the house, it's like, oh, thank God I got away from the hammer hitters. It won't be long before that critter brain starts going, where are the hammer hitters? And it will outsource yep. it to your boss, your roommate, your coworker, your partner, your romantic partner, your friends, your neighbor. You'll start going, start going, why is that person, why is that person irritating my father, my mother, whoever it was? And it's repeating that so it knows that it's alive. So those are patterns that our brain searches for to repeat, to make sure that we're safe. Oh, we survived. Even though consciously we don't want it, this is how we have money. And then when people have money, their bank account, they start to kind of panic and then they have to sell it or they have to spend it, excuse me. And then they're like, oh, they feel safest climbing up the hill to income. And they're like, oh, I'm here. Oh my God, there's money in my bank. They want it, but their system, their brain triggers and they've got to spend it. Yeah. Or it's like businesses fail, businesses expand, retract, all that stuff. Clients come go, they won't send invoices. Those are safety patterns well, where your critter brain is starting to feel relief by mm. reproducing the shame, stress, anxiety, fear, struggle, dread, whatever it is, procrastination. The third one is what I refer to as inherited family loyalties. This mm -hmm. is how we limit our abilities to hold our success hostage in an effort to show our love to our family, both conscious and unconscious, we may th say things like, who am I to have it better than my family? We've always mm -hmm. worked hard for money. I cannot have it easier when my ancestors struggled for generations, sacrificed so much. Mm -hmm. 
And this can be even subconscious where we're repeating the same patterns that our great, great grandparents experienced in famine or depression, or even being exiled from their countries. And what's so amazing about this one is the hardest one to shift because it's not done out of fear. It's done from love. It's done from, oh, I belong to this family. I want to be like you. I'm going to have my belonging through struggling like you were. And mm -hmm. there's so many better ways to show our love and belonging and honor of our ancestors than to get into yeah. suffering. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great point is that we, we mistake that, that I I'm like them. And so, Oh, this is just a family. This is just how it is. Like, well, everybody always did this in my family. And you know, my family was full of teachers. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one who didn't grow up to be a teacher because I was like, I don't like teaching. I want business. I, I like business. Like, this is what I want to do. And I was like, you know, Oh, what are you doing? And that's, <laughs> but that, you know, out of love, they were trying to say, you need to be like us. This is how you succeed. Or this is how you stay safe. Where really it's, no, I love, I love you and <laughs> I'm going to keep doing the things. Right. And we'll even see this in physical ailments. People will talk take on the ailments of their parents, grandparents, especially if they were adopted or didn't know that parent. This is their way to stay connected by taking on the back pain of their father who did it while moving pipes one day. And they've never met their father, but they're in their 60s and they're like, oh, I had the same low back pain. It's amazing what you find with family inherited loyalties. Interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. So when it comes to, you know, okay, so we're trying to, you know, connect the two brains and, you know, get all into function. What is one thing? And, and maybe it's like a daily habit or something that you could actually do. Cause I think that's the biggest thing about entrepreneurs is we're doers and we want something that we can do. Okay. Journaling doesn't work, but what's something we can do that we could create a habit around that would really help kickstart people um, and, and removing some of these blocks and beliefs. Well, every, obviously everyone's different. All blocks are different and they're layered, right? So the first layers are, the last layers put on the first ones to come off. One of the things that is really helpful, especially with the brain is stopping, which is hard to say to doers and check into what's the experience I'm having right now. What are the physical mm. sensations? Where is it in my body? What is the, if it's fear, what's the flavor of fear? Fear for my life, fear for my survival, fear of whatever. Is it shame? Shame of what? Is it guilt? Is it stress? What am I stressing about? What is it too much, too little? What, and then what are the thoughts that go with it? And actually start to peel it back because you'll, you'll realize it comes down to something probably when I say small, it's a, it's a much more minute experience than all of the stuff around it. And there is, what's happening is your brain is getting triggered and it thinks it's survival's at stake. So to get to that inner place, like, oh, if I purchase this thing for my business, it feels like my survival is at risk. My survival's not at risk. Okay. And kind of like anchoring that for yourself, breathing through it a little bit, it'll help loosen it. It may not shift it at the core because there's more techniques we need to do, but it starts sure. to open up the brain to, oh, okay. This is actually survivable too. Yeah. And it really helps, but to really start to noodle in a lot of times we just want to push through it and, you know, yeah. get through the overwhelm or we want to go check out and have, you know, coffee and ice cream, but uh, <laughs> while you're eating your ice cream, you can go, what is that feeling? Where is it located? And then also what does that feeling or experience, what's it reminisce? Does it remind me of something I had in my childhood? 
Oh yeah. I remember when I was, and you may not remember in the work that I do, you don't have to remember. We'll actually find, find what happened, the imprint. But if you go, Oh, I remember having this around my brother, around my teachers, or, you know, when I was learning those three or I fell down and there is some belief we decided and that's being played out because all your beliefs are formed by the time you're six, if not much younger. And basically those are the patterns that are running and they've not been upgraded like an operating system. We need to upgrade this. We need to upgrade it. No. And I think that's a really great, you know, that noticing that awareness that it's always the first step for any kind of healing or rewiring or anything you've got to know what, what it is, you know? Oh, I feel it here. Oh, I feel it here. Oh, okay. That's what's really, and like you said, you may not get to the root, but at at minimum you could move through that specific moment, that choice, that, that specific block. If you can fully appreciate your current state, then there's no problem. Deeper Mm. philosophical, philosophical discussion. (laughs) But honestly, it's like, oh, this is what I'm feeling like. If again, if I purchase a thing for my business, my survival that sticks, it uses up 25% of what I've got. And you go, oh, does it? No. But it's those things. And then you go, oh, this isn't a problem. This isn't a problem. And then it becomes, there's more choice in that moment because you have more behavioral flexibility. And then you can actually empower yourself to do what you want with that information. That's, that's lovely. I think that's all really wonderful advice for the audience who's watching and listening. Regina, if they would actually like to connect with you, learn a little bit more about the work that you do, or, you know, have a conversation with you, what's one great way for people to get connected with you right now? Find me on LinkedIn, Regina Martinelli. Regina Martinelli on LinkedIn. All right, folks, the link's right down below. Make sure you tap, get connected with Regina. Regina, start a conversation and, you know, see where that goes. Maybe help, she can help you remove some of your own money blocks. So thank you so much for joining me today, Regina. It's been wonderful to hear some great tips and advice about maybe why we're a little more stuck around money than we'd like to think. And why we don't have what we want yet. (laughs) Absolutely. So thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate your time today. Thank you, Megan. It's been awesome. To the audience, thank you for joining us, for watching and listening. And I'm wishing you peace as you flow off to the rest of your business day. And we will talk again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Flow Working, the Entrepreneur's Podcast. Make sure you find, follow, and please review us on your favorite podcast platform.